What we're doing this morning is we're going to uh, continue on in some sense the theme that we've been looking at called I Am Church. And we're asking the question, why worship? Why worship? And it's a, a very, very obvious question to ask, one that's so obvious that we don't even ask it. And as much as we arrive at church, we walk in the door, we start with songs, and we sing these songs, and at the end of the songs, we move on to something else, which is a very obvious pattern for us all. But uh, the question of why worship is always with us because we are created to worship. There's something within us that says it will worship something. Our soul, our spirit cries out to worship. And on a Saturday morning, on a long way, tangy weekend, you'll find people filling up the boat, their item of worship, with petrol to go off and catch fish. Or we will find people barracking for their favourite sports team, like the Warriors at the Auckland Nines, and they get to go home early. But you see, worship is who we are. Worship is what we are created for. And therefore, if there is not something appropriate to worship, in as much as it's God himself, then we are going to direct our attention to that which is not worthy of worship, but grabs our attention and we give it anyway. Isn't that true? That's true. It's true. And uh, so this morning, um, the title of my message is called Why Worship? But the subtitle is, Oh My God. Oh My God. Some years back, uh, we held an evening, a vision evening, and I was talking about a, a story that my mum and dad told me about when they were traveling up the uh, northern area of Australia, towing a caravan. Um, so they were towing a caravan up through the great uh, Northern Territory, and there was an area of these big, sharp escarpments, you know, basically huge rift valley-type cliffs. And they were going along, and they could see by the roadside signs that there was a lot of history in the area. And they noticed that one of the creeks was called Broken Elbow Creek. So they were starting to tell a story. And then they went around a sharp corner. It was called Whiskey Bottle Corner. So you can imagine that there must have been a whiskey bottle there for a long time, and that was at the corner. And then they started going up this hill, and they noticed it was called Oh My God Hill. And, and my mum and my dad looked at each other, they said, and they thought, oh, that's, that's sort of a bit blasphemous, really. And they got to the brow of the hill, and it went straight down, and they went, oh, my God, as they were towing the caravan. <laughs> towing this caravan, and they, they thought they were going to, you know, defy, gravi or defy friction and enter into gravity. Yeah. And so, oh, my God, is an expression that we use, and there's something about it which pours out of us in those moments of shock or awe when we have a, a sense in which this trap door opens to our soul and we're reminded that we are not our own, but we are God's. We are God's. And so these three words remind us that we belong to God. The O is a sense of gasp, isn't it? Oh, wow. That sense in which we just are thrown back, rocked back. We go, oh, yeah. And then my, there's a sense of ownership there. Oh my, as in my being you and I, God, we have a relationship. Oh my, and of course, God. Yeah. And uh, my brother was traveling over in India and he comes back and he said, it was quite amusing 
It was quite a surprise to him to be in the middle of Kolkata one time and uh, he saw something happen on the street and, uh, uh, and this guy was clearly a Buddhist and the guy gets a shock and he goes, oh my Buddha. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, so these expressions come from a sense of uh, awe and, uh, okay, don't repeat that one to your Indian friends. But, but oh my God comes out of a sense of our heart being exploded in the moment with shock and awe about the goodness of God. And so we find these scriptures, and uh, this morning what I've done is I've taken three passages of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and then from the book of Revelation, which capture again for us that freshness of these words of the heart. And at the end of the talk, we're going to have a treat with, uh, uh, with uh, Brent Chambers coming to uh, bring a song for us, a couple of songs for us. But uh, let's have a look at this revelation that the prophet Isaiah had. The prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. It's a beautiful piece of scripture, isn't it? Because it starts with this display of the majesty and the glory of God. And those angelic beings, the seraphim, gathered around the holy place, that holy of holies, where the Lord Almighty himself is enthroned. And the smoke fills the temple and the train of his garment is filling up the room. You just get the sense of the overflow of God, the all-consuming God, the all-consuming creator God is present in the temple. And the seraphim, these angelic beings, they got wings over their eyes because they can't look upon the glory of God. They got wing, uh, wings covering their feet uh, because they want to cover that uncleanness of feet, which represented that uncleanness in the day. And then they were flying with the other, the other uh, wings that they had. It's just a, a beautiful picture. And Isaiah is just, just awestruck. He's doing his, oh my God, moment. He's awestruck. And he's like, whoa, whoa, it's me. I'm unclean. I'm undone. I'm ruined. I feel like I'm just moments away from death here because I'm in the presence of a holy God and I'm a sinful person. But God acts first. And God takes uh, the angel, gets the angel, the seraphim, to take the coal, put it on his lips. And it's a symbol of him being clean, made clean by a holy God. 
And with that picture, that image, that awe, the awesomeness of God in the truest sense of the word, God then puts out a request. Who am I going to send? Well, when you've just had that experience, you wouldn't say, not me, would you? You wouldn't. You go, I'll go. If this power, if this holiness is all part of the deal, if this is the person whom I represent, then I'll go. Send me. Send me. And I think there have been thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of missionaries over centuries who have had a similar awakening, a similar experience, where they say, I can go into the dirtiest, deepest, darkest, most depraved, depressed deeds of this world. Because why? Because this holy God goes with me, and I go with him. What could overcome us? Oh my God, what could overcome us? Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John, have a revelation. It says here, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, that's easy for you to say, Jesus. Don't be afraid. You're familiar with heaven. Here, a touch of heaven has come down to earth and the disciples are awestruck and they have an oh my God moment. And immediately, Peter's wanting to, to, to create the symbols of the arrival and the coming of the Lord. And that is to build a shelter because they believe that the Lord would come and his power at the Feast of Tabernacles when they built little shelters and lived outside. And so his response is to, to, to get religious. Get religious. Often we don't know what to do when we have an encounter with God. Peter's response was to get religious. But the, the power of God overwhelmed him. And all three of them just hit the deck, prostrated themselves before the Lord. I remember about 25 years ago at Otomotai Baptist Church in Jeff Wickland, the pastor at the time was preaching a sermon about the glory of God and PowerPoint was relatively new, overhead transparencies. And he said that the three disciples prostrated themselves before the Lord. All the old men laughed and the young guys didn't get it. <laughs> but they prostrated themselves before the Lord. They hit the deck in an oh my God moment. Why? Because they were afraid. Like Isaiah, they were very afraid. Like Isaiah, they would have said, woe is me, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I've just seen the God, the God Almighty. And what about Revelation? As we push on, as we know, Revelation, the final book in Scripture, says, at once 
I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in the back. And the first living creatures was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. These are incredible words, aren't they? The sense of apocalyptic uh, discovery that, that John is actually experiencing when he writes this. Uh, the, the, the verses start off with a, a sense of immediacy. The immediacy of this revelation comes to John because he says, immediately I was transfixed. Immediately I was in the spirit. And woo, wham, this revelation of heaven with the angelic beings, the heavenly bodies surrounding the throne of God. And we have these elders who are constantly being fed revelation of the nature and the character of God. You know how it is when we have those moments when we say, wow, wow, that's God. That's his nature. That's his character. That's his beauty. We have those moments and they they capture us. Well, this is what's occurring in heaven, is that the sense in which the, 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 the God of heaven and earth is revealing his character, something of his grace, something of his mercy, something of his love, something of his nature. And the elders who are so familiar with this God still fall off their thrones, throw their, their, their crowns in front of them and say, holy, holy, holy are you. Because the revelation of the nature and the character of God is endless. And all of this for us is wrapped up in the most powerful image of all when we see that this God laid down his majesty. For the Christian, this is the oh my God moment. When we see Christ crucified, we go, oh God, did the son of the creator of the world really come and lay down his life? Did he really come and give it up? He, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and by him, through him, all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. All things were created through Jesus Christ, says Colossians. 
And we stand in awe when we read that because we say, how on earth, how on earth could things of heaven have been created in and through the person of Jesus, visible and invisible? And we stand in awe because we say, I don't know how that happens. How can all things be created through Jesus? Things in heaven, things on earth, things visible and invisible. We don't know. And that's okay. Because we are allowed to stand in awe of the God who created us. We don't have to have everything measured and plumbed and sorted and boxed, calculated. We go, oh my God, you are indeed Awesome. Awesome you are. Oh my God. And so worship, when we come and when we sing, it's our heart and spirit response to an almighty God, isn't it? And we capture, we need to capture and recapture afresh the sense of the God in whom we serve, the God in whom we proclaim as Lord of all. And and, and that that begins when we, we come into a, a worship setting like we did this morning. And we've, we've got to pick ourselves up and remind ourselves of what the event is all about. Songs at the beginning of church are not designed for your convenience so that you can turn up in a dribble, collectively, dribble. They're not designed so that we can create a nice space of warmth and interaction, a slow beginning. They're designed so that from the moment we walk into this place set apart, dedicated to the glory of God, we say, I will serve the Lord. I will worship the Lord. I will take my desire, my greatest desire, and I will honour him with my voice and my words this morning. I will choose that. It's so easy to come in and say, I feel, well, I don't feel like worshipping today. Really? Has God changed? Has God changed his character? God changed his nature? Is he less of a God today than he was yesterday? And when things aren't going so well, aren't doing so well in your own life, does that mean that God has actually decided to go on a holiday? Has he gone part-time? Has he gone to sleep? No, the nature and the character of God doesn't change. And when people say to me, oh, you know, music really isn't my thing. Really? Seriously? Well, I can understand the context of saying music really isn't my thing. But worship should be. Worship should be an act of your will, regardless of how good your voice is. Okay? Because it's, 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 uh, it's our way of, of expression. And when we come into the house of the Lord, we say, I will worship the Lord today. I will give him glory and praise because he is worthy of these things. And, and, and I am but a mere mortal. But I have been swept up into this great drama, the story of God. 2,000 years ago, Christ shed his blood for me. And now I am welcome. I am Fano. I am family. I'm part of the body of Christ. And so therefore I enter into his courts of praise with thanksgiving. I enter in with joy because I can bring who I am to this God and he accepts my praise as a gift offering to him. Do you love it? Yeah. Oh, we shuffle in. Oh, 
Somebody's got my seat. You know, stink. Someone's got my seat. You know, oh, oh, so-and-so's singing today. I like the other person better. You know, oh, oh, you know, it's a bit loud. It's a bit loud this morning. Yeah. Says the 1950s rock and roll generation as they get older. Just got to put that out there. It's the ones who said to mum and dad, can we turn it up some more because we want to have a bit of a boogie? Now going, turn it down. Let us praise God with all our heart. Let us praise him with all of our being. We will do the best to make sure the sound suits everybody. Don't worry, I'm not being rude here for the sake of it. What I'm saying is it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us and a God who sent his son to save us. And so when we get out of that car park, you know, we've sorted the kids out. Be good for God. Don't embarrass me again. Okay? And no, you can't have a sausage. Don't ask me in front of people. Okay, so when you've got all that sorted, you come in and you take a sense of godliness with you and you bring your little contribution of, 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 of worship and you mix it up with other imperfect people like you. And together, we are an incense to God. We are an incense to God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's unique. You can't do it anywhere else. Sure, yeah, you can do it on the beach. People say, oh, I love worshipping on the beach. A mate who says, oh, I love worshipping God in the bush. I'm like, no, you're not. You're shooting things. not about God then, it's about you. Okay, so let's just have a look at the scripture before I say anything I will live to regret. <laughs> the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Work that out. Try and work that out. I can't work it out. And he is the head of the body of the church, for he is, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Man, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Isn't that enough to sort of create an oh my God moment for us? Worship. Thanks. Worship is our will. Worship is our will responding to revelation. We're a bit stuck up here. Can we just, just wake them up? Might be stuck up there. Anyway, I'll leave it there. This morning, as I said, um, we have uh, the privilege of having Brent Chambers with us this morning. And uh, Brent was used by the Lord, particularly in the 70s and 80s, but ongoing as a musician, uh, to be part of a reformation of worship 
that occurred here in New Zealand and through the likes of Scripture and Song, which Brent was very involved with, with David and Dale Garrett, uh, worship music was transformed. And New Zealand was a central part of that transformation. Scripture and Song, which was a move away from the traditional hymns, allowed us to be able to find a new expression of worship. And I can remember in my home group leading days, uh, singing Brent's songs. And they were just songs that captured our heart, captured our attention, captured our imagination, and put the awe of God into worship. So I'd just like to welcome Brent. So let's, let's give him a warm welcome. Something to sit on. That's right, Brent. Make you feel more comfortable. Well, thanks very much, Brent, for giving us your time. I'll just see if this is working. It's good. Yeah, yeah good. Um, Brent, you've been here a couple of years, two and a half years or so, been in the life of the church here. Um, so, what brought you along here? Uh, we heard about this place. We heard about this place and um, thought we'd better check it out, seeing as we only live about 10 minutes away. And, um, yeah, walked in the door one Sunday morning and started ticking boxes. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. That's good. So what do you look for as a musician when you come into the life of a church? When you know, Obviously, music's a very important part of your life. What are you looking for? Well, the second box that I ticked on our first morning here was the worship team and the songs that they'd chosen. And uh, that particular morning, I felt that every song carried weight, carried authority, um, and there was a direction that the songs were taking that I felt was uh, very thoughtful and uh, it was taking us towards God. It was taking us into God and I was impressed by that. Okay. Yeah, well, you'd be sensitive to that because songs are stories, aren't they, for you? Well, they are. I, we'd, we'd gone to another church nearby and uh, I wasn't particularly impressed with the songs that they were using. I felt that they were very lightweight and they were very uh, joyful but... Uh, they didn't carry the weight that I felt the songs were being carried here on that particular okay. morning. Okay. And one of those songs was one of the last songs that we'd heard in our fellowship in Auckland. So to okay. leave there, come here, and carry on where we left off. Good. That was helpful. Good connection. Yeah, good connection. Yeah. So you're a worship song writer. How do you write a worship song? Okay. Um, most of the time I'm looking in the scriptures for... Uh, something uh, that says it. Um, I won't necessarily uh, stay exactly with that scripture, not if I can get a decent rhyme. (laughs) That must be a bit of a curse for a songwriter. (laughs) Is that right? Yes and no. The song, the rhyme almost, you've got a competition between the right meaning you want to convey versus that rhyme that works. Well, rhyme can make it and rhyme can kill it. So I won't do that for the sake of a rhyme. But, yeah. but I'm looking for a happy marriage of words and music that will convey the heart of what the song is meant to say and the job it's meant to do. Right, yeah. So, Well, I talked this morning about um, the gasp, that moment where you... <gasps> how, do, how, do you or how do you find that in a worship song? Because I, I think sometimes, for me, a worship song has that gasp as well. How do you, how do you create that? <laughs> Um, it's a, a, a preordained accident. 
<laughs> you like that? That's beautiful. Eh? Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, like so, some yeah. of the songs that I've written, the revelation has come afterwards. Okay. And other times I've, I've been in the revelation and I'm writing. Wow. Um, it's like, Be Exalted, O God, I wrote and it was just another song. And then I, David Garrett got me to sing it that night over and over. And then at the end of it, he said to me, Brent, do you think that God is speaking to you through these words? And suddenly God was speaking to me through those words and he shocked my world. And, yeah. I, be, and I began to take... The, the song says, um, I will um, sing your praises among the nations. Yeah. And I've been doing that ever since. That, yeah. became, that song became my mandate. Yeah. So that was so, a ascending song. It you. was a ascending song, but at first it was just another song that I was happy to have finished and it made no impact on me until David suggested that God was speaking to me and in that moment he was. Wow. Imagine Isaiah writing a song. Oh. He'd be like, Woe to me, I am ruined. Woe to me, I am ruined. <laughs> eh? But you had a sending song which was like, Be exalted, oh God. Sorry. I think as far as... <laughs> the, um, you notice that we don't have a great vocabulary in our, in our deepest worship songs because there's not a huge vocabulary in the presence of God, in the throne room of God, in, in mm. Revelation. Yeah. There's only about 50 words, mm, but, but um, it's, the, it's what happens next that just keeps on blowing me away with people just getting impacted by those same words and coming up with something fresh and something different. Yeah, beautiful. So, so what do you think in worship pleases the heart of God? What is God looking for when we collectively sing or on our own might sing? I'm working on a song in... John chapter 4 at the moment, about the woman who came to the well. And um, it's like, come, come and see somebody who told me everything I ever did. Come and see somebody who loved me in spite of it. And uh, she found herself in the presence of God. She found herself as a fallen woman, as a troubled woman, as a hungry, seeking woman in the presence of God. And Jesus totally accepted her and gave her the very thing that she was desperate for, and that was the living water. Mm. And it just, the, 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 the day that she got that revelation of who he was and that it changed her and, and altered everything, um, I can never move far from that because encountering Jesus at the well, um, it's just, ah, oh, again, mm. again, you know, ah, oh, I, I fall down and worship before you. And I stand in awe and I can't even speak mm. a lot of the time because the language of worship starts and finishes here yeah. with or without words. Oh, I like that line. Remind me of that later? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got that on film. <laughs> yeah, because I interviewed him and he came out, we'll share the royalties. <laughs> You're going to get quite thin. Uh, <laughs> 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 I won't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you better bring this back on track fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's joy in the house of the Lord too, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, we talk about laughter and that. There's a joy. Well, Brent, um, you, uh, you're going to lead us in a, in a couple of songs, but the first one is uh, one that you've written more recently. Do you want to tell us the st background story to that? Yeah, I do. Um, we'd been coming here for about uh, two years, and we were, we were being wooed by one or two life groups, but we were sort of a bit reluctant to 
commit. And then um, last August, um, I got sick, and this main group that had been wooing us turned up on Sunday morning with lunch and prayers. And they, they prayed for me, and they blessed me, and it sounds like a very simple thing, but suddenly I realized that we belonged. Yeah. And it just um, blew me away. We'd, we'd, we wanted to belong. We wanted to fit in, but we didn't know how and what it was going to look like. And I still, I'm still not sure what quite happened, but I do know that suddenly this is our home. Wow. Yeah. And God's in it. Yeah. And that'll do. That'll do. And now we're part of a fit team even, so we're fitting quite well. You are. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Cool. I'll try not to have a fit. Yeah. 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 And, now, and now you're going to do some music for us. So yeah. let's thank Brent and uh, allow him to uh, bless us in the Lord. Thank you.